You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening and thanks for joining us. Chris is off tonight. Some good news for the community of Osoyoos, which is threatened by the Eagle Bluff wildfire. While the fire is still out of control and has doubled in size, some 1,600 properties that were once under evacuation order or alert are now in the clear. Global's Cassidy Moscone is live in Osoyoos with the latest, including one very close call. Cassidy. Sophie, as the fire moves west out of the main town, these remarkable stories of survival are coming to light as well as a sheer sense of community spirit. You can really feel it walking through the town. These residents here are just grateful to have somewhere to sleep at night. A backyard blackened, scorched earth surrounding this Osuyus property, giving new meaning to the saying, a little too close to home. It's pretty hard to explain. It's uh, inspiring to look at how fast it went, but there, like I say, just to see it, there's, there's no putting it out for us, that's for sure. Armed with just a garden hose, Randy Mitchell and his wife Pat stayed to defend their property for as long as they could when the flames roared through on Saturday night. The fire was probably 30 feet high coming at us. If the fire departments weren't here, there's no way it would have stopped right there. The couple, one of hundreds of homeowners who have BC firefighters to thank for saving their home. Not a single structure has been lost since the Eagle Bluff blaze barreled across the United States border four days ago. Crews back out on the ground today, trying to get an upper hand on the wildfire that is still burning out of control. If people choose to stay, it is their choice. It does put our firefighters at risk if they have to go back in. When you're in an order, it has been deemed unsafe. It's not a consideration that we recommend lightly. The town rallying around their heroes. We're pretty proud that uh, hopefully these guys and gals are eating really well. Local businesses who usually compete coming together, donating their time and produce to keep firefighters full. It's great to see that such a tragedy or such a scary event can bring the community together and galvanize everybody so well. So great to see the community spirit. Now, Cassidy, evacuation orders uh, were rescinded again this, again this afternoon, or more orders were rescinded this afternoon. But the threat is still there for dozens of residents. It is, Sophie. Uh, more than 50 homes remain in the direct line of fire, some 480 are on alert. So, look, progress is being made, but the reality is here that the fire is still burning. It's more than doubled in size since this same time last night. The whole town will be hoping for some calmer conditions overnight. Sophie. All right, thanks for that. Cassidy Moscone reporting for us in Osoyoos. A flare-up of the Downton Lake fire north of Pemberton has sparked an evacuation order at nearby Gun Lake. Helicopters are doing what they can to hold back the advancing flames that have burned down almost to the shore. The Squamish-Lillooet Regional District ordered everyone out this afternoon. The fire was sparked by lightning on July 13th and is burning out of control, now covering 875 hectares. Well, with more than 350 wildfires burning in B.C., the federal government has brought in an unprecedented level of international support to help fight the fires, making this a global effort to protect British Columbians' properties. 
Global's Nitu Karcha had the chance to meet some of the firefighters who've come to Canada. Canada, the U.S. and Mexico. Crews from the three countries are now fighting this fire about 10 kilometers south of Kamloops. Volatile winds have been a challenge on this blaze, which is among the biggest in B.C., burning near a big urban center. Uh, we're really being put to the test. California firefighter Michael Piper's five-person engine crew brought with them several 600-gallon fire trucks from the Golden State, which is experiencing its slowest start to the season in decades. Weirdly enough, we had a wet winter, finally not a drought, and so it's prolonged the season, so it allowed us the opportunity to come up here. It's a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity for us, and we're super excited to be here. We are honored to be here. It's amazing. Uh, some of the first engines, uh, strike teams that can just drive through the border and come assist on this, and hopefully th this is an, an agreement that stays uh, like forever. Two Griffin helicopters and 17 military members from Alberta have also arrived to support BC crews. Until you see it from the air, you don't really get an appreciation for just how rugged the terrain is out here. And with climate experts predicting even more severe wildfire seasons more often, these foreign crews say working together like this is more important than ever. BC Wildfire Service officials say this controlled burn began with a technique first introduced in this province by Mexican firefighters using a machete to keep the flames out of the tree canopy. It's considered an important and special weapon used against the wildfires, according to Jessica Espinosa, speaking through a translator. What she's particularly proud of is the use of uh, the machete, which is a traditional firefighting tool that the Mexicans use back home. Canadian crews have reported feeling they're fighting a losing battle as waves of wildfires have left those on the front lines exhausted. I was talking to one guy today and he was saying he's already done 60 days and you know I you know we know how that is and stuff so if there's any way that we can come and take a workload off of them I'm, I'm glad that we're able to be here and do that. The biggest concern now is hot dry and windy conditions forecast over the coming days expected to increase fire behavior here. Neetu Garcha Global News near Kamloops BC. A dramatic scene in Surrey today where more than two dozen firefighters were called out to battle a house fire. Our Janet Brown was on scene early and Janet, at least one person was seen jumping from an upper floor window. Two people were injured in this house fire in Cloverdale, Sophie. One of them seriously after jumping from a second floor window to escape the heavy smoke and flames. Two people were at home when the fire broke out around 9 this morning at this house in Cloverdale on 192A Street near 69th Avenue. One of the victims escaped by jumping from this second-story window and was taken to hospital in serious condition. We were trying to look for a ladder. I finally found one um, that we had that would have been able to help a little bit. Um, but by that point, um, he, was, he was pretty much already on his way out the window. So we just, rather than trying to get him the ladder, he was going to jump and we just tried to catch him as best we could. A second person was taken to hospital suffering from smoke inhalation. Neighbours who stood by and watched helplessly were shaken up. It's just a lot to process, cause especially because we thought it was our house at first. So it was just like panic and grab stuff and go. We just all eating breakfast and um, my dad actually smelled the smoke and came up 
um, and said, I smell smoke. We said, really? Looked out the back porch and saw the flames. Surrey Fire says they don't have much to go on right now. When crews arrived uh, on arrival, they found heavy smoke and fire showing from a two-story residence. Uh, they also located two patients who have subsequently been transported to the hospital. Uh, they performed an aggressive fire attack. Neighbors say it is a wake-up call for everyone. It just serves as a good reminder of having some sort of a fire plan in place for sure. By the afternoon, the Surrey RCMP Arson Investigation Unit had showed up, but we are told by Surrey RCMP the fire as of right now does not appear suspicious. And right now, the cause of the fire remains under investigation, and nor do we know where in the house the fire started. Back to you. Janet Brown reporting in Surrey. Janet, thank you. Homicide investigators have released images of a vehicle they believe was involved in a murder last week. Police say the suspects waited hours for their victim last Thursday afternoon in this 2021 Hyundai Santa Fe on Minler Road in Richmond. They then shot and killed Ravinder Samra, the latest victim of the Lower Mainland Gang War. The suspect vehicle was later found burned out on Blundell Road. Police believe several people walked past the suspect vehicle between noon and 6 p.m. and they're asking to speak to anyone who saw the Hyundai. Kamloops RCMP are investigating a suspicious death. Police say just past midnight they responded to reports of a death east of Highway 5. The investigation leading to the hours-long closure of Paul Lake Road near the highway. RCMP say they found the body under suspicious circumstances. If you have any information, you are asked to call RCMP. Well, the personal information of hundreds of thousands of healthcare workers may have been compromised in what's being described as a targeted cyber attack. But it's still unclear what information, what the information has been used for, or specifically who's been impacted. Richard Zussman has more. The BC healthcare system has been under tremendous strain. Now, a new form of stress, data stolen from those both working and hoping to work on the front lines. No individual organization ever wants to be subject of a cyber attack. Unfortunately, this is the reality of our times. The data breach happened on servers hosted by the Health Employers Association of BC. Hackers accessing the system from May 9th to June 10th, but wasn't detected until a few weeks ago. We are not able to identify how many individuals' information is potentially involved in this incident. There were approximately 240,000 unique email addresses in the three databases. The reason it can't be determined how many people are impacted is because some workers inputted multiple email addresses, and it's unclear if the stolen information has been used yet. Exposed data, including social insurance numbers, home addresses, passport numbers, and driver license numbers. This does not include health information. I want to be clear that there, have been, there are no successful breaches on the BC government data systems. No patient information or no, and no information in government systems have been compromised. What remains unclear is who led this attack and what sort of information are they looking for? The Canadian Centre for Cybersecurity and the police are now part of the investigation. We have not been contacted by anyone uh, with respect to ransom. Databases breached include locums for rural BC program, the BC Care Aid and Community Workers Registry and Health Match BC used for the province's international healthcare recruitment. Impacted health workers and applicants are already being notified, with two years' worth of credit monitoring being offered. We are not able to conclusively determine which 
information was involved. Out of a, an abundance of caution, we are acting as if all the information may have been involved. The servers were shut down as soon as the breach was spotted, and the work is being done to set up temporary online access for the compromised web services. Rich Lisbon, Global News, Victoria. Vancouver Council is considering a proposal that could change how single-family homes are built. The push to downsize detached homes in favour of higher density in just over a minute. A bear bandit at Westwood Plateau. What happened to the clubs later? Plus. They're probably 12 metres in the air coming down. The brains behind these big air features. The former pro rider creating new courses for mountain biking's best. That's still to come tonight. Right now, though, the city of Vancouver is considering a number of changes in an effort to create more housing. And one proposal in particular is starting to raise some controversy, shrinking the allowable size of a new single-family detached home. As Aaron MacArthur reports, some say that could have an impact on multi-generational households. The city of Vancouver wants a lot less of this and way more of this. The move away from huge swaths of the city given over to single-family homes towards denser neighborhoods, though, is a slow process. A new proposal, recently forwarded to public hearing, will see the city actively discourage single-family homes by limiting their size. Well, I think that that's really the million-dollar question, or this being Vancouver, the $2 million question. If you think about a typical 33 by 122 foot lot, like that one, the city wants to restrict the size of a single-family home replacement, allowing just 2,400 square feet, or about 60% of the lot size. If a builder, though, wants to do multifamily, well, then the city would allow just more than 4,000 square feet. Yeah, this isn't going to make a huge difference. They're just returning to the size limits that existed, I believe, around 10 or 15 years ago. So this isn't going to be a dramatic difference. While some critics say the rules don't go far enough, the building community wants the city to scrap the idea. About 400 people have signed a petition saying the changes would adversely affect multi-generational households. Vancouver builders say the loss of 400 square feet could affect affordability. The city, in a statement, says currently housing options in low-density neighbourhoods are very limited and the costs of ownership are far out of reach for the vast majority of households. Planners say while the majority of the city is zoned for options like duplexes and laneway homes, they are far less common west of Main Street. But yet at the same time, in the east side of Vancouver, a lot of them are multi-generational households, immigrant households, through which uh, really look for that secondary unit. The bylaw changes that the city of Vancouver could be approved by the new year. The province also promising drastic changes in zoning. This fall, mandating three or four homes per lot everywhere in B.C. Aaron MacArthur, Global News. Up next, bike safety concerns on the Ironworkers Memorial Bridge. That's too dangerous, I think. Why some cyclists say it's an accident waiting to happen. Plus... Throwing a little money at something that is called beautification is more than just putting paint on a wall. A proposed new partnership that would see businesses access funding to help spruce up downtown Victoria. Lots of congestion this evening northbound at the Ironworkers Memorial Bridge. That's because temporarily the Dullerton off-ramp is blocked and there's a temporary detour using the Main Street off-ramp. 
Today's Lotto Max jackpot is an estimated $33 million. Lotto Max, dream to the max. I'm Trish Jewison in Global One at the Ironworkers Memorial Bridge. Some cyclists are raising concerns about safety on the Ironworkers Memorial Bridge. Construction has shut down the sidewalk and bike lane on one side of the span, forcing bikes and pedestrians to squeeze onto one path on the other side of the bridge. As Kamal Karamali reports, that's led to some close calls. Twists and turns. Oh no, it's, it's crazy. With confusing signs. That's why I'm getting lost going back in port twice leading to some close calls for cyclists trying to get across the Iron Workers Memorial Bridge. If you're not paying attention on a bike, but you gotta be. Cyclists and pedestrians forced to share this narrow pathway on the west side of the bridge, causing concern collisions are inevitable. If you have a crowd on both sides, maybe that's, that's too dangerous, I think. For most of August, the entire east sidewalk on the Highway 1 bridge will be closed for storm sewer work, leaving only the west sidewalk open to people going in both directions. The widths are not made for two-way traffic, which is what's happening during this construction period, and that's why people are feeling less safe right now. Pedestrians and cyclists taking issue with the fact that there are no signs telling people to slow down or a divider. If you just commence construction and hope it works out, is you're putting people at risk of death and serious injury. Many now wondering who would be on the hook if the worst should happen. There is potential liability against construction companies if they don't make sure that they've pre-planned and created a safe route. The province says people should use the detour with caution and cyclists should dismount when necessary. Many now choosing to avoid the route altogether. I think I won't come this way. He'll just stay on the, the lion's gate next time. Advocates warning cyclists to stay to the right and slow down if they do have to use the bridge. Kamal Kuramali, Global News. Well, Victoria City Council is considering new funding to help revitalize the downtown core. The money would be spent to beautify downtown storefronts. But as Kylie Stanton reports, there is some concern the help might be only cosmetic. It's known for its lush gardens and quaint streets. Downtown Victoria really is great. But if you look beyond the hanging flower baskets and cobblestones, there's work to be done. They were talking about uh, cleaning up a lot of the birds. <laughs> it's not very pleasant. The City of Victoria is now considering a partnership with the Downtown Victoria Business Association that would provide funding for businesses to improve the appearance of their storefronts, block by block by block. Fresh coat of paint, you know, cleaning awnings, maybe, you know, nice planters down the whole block. Really, whatever would make that block really pop and look great. The Business Facade Beautification Reimbursement Program has earmarked $50,000 from the city's recently extended pay parking hours. The Downtown Victoria Business Association will match that, totaling $100,000, which will be available on a 50-50 cost-sharing basis with participating businesses and property owners. While they'll still have to get on board, it seems many in the community are all for it. I don't see any reason why we wouldn't want to do that. I mean, that's an investment in the economy of our city. Well, yeah, cleaning up, that sounds like a great idea. Still, there's concern this doesn't address the bigger picture. Victoria, like many cities across the province, has seen a massive spike in theft and vandalism. 
much of it rooted in the ongoing mental health and homelessness crises. But the city has made it clear tackling those challenges is the responsibility of the province. All it can do is continue to push higher levels of government to act. We absolutely support what the province is doing in building housing and supportive housing and across the affordability spectrum and we'll continue to do so. But that's ultimately the answer. BC's Minister of Public Safety Mike Farnworth told Global News the province's Safer Communities Action Plan strengthens enforcement and leverages mental health and addiction services. That said, the results aren't always quick to materialize. The city expects this program will be different. It's not just important for us to have the reality, it's important for us to see the reality. Kylie Stanton, Global News, Victoria. Coming up, finding medical care in rural BC. It'd be equivalent to a downtown Vancouver resident having to drive to Chilliwack. A new effort to close the gap in provincial health care, plus. So the donut boys, I could roll with that. <laughs> How the BC Lions defense have earned a new nickname later in sports. Good evening, and traffic is steady in both directions over here at the Alex Fraser Bridge tonight. Just a little bit of leftover volume for eastbound traffic on the east-west connector between Knight and the S-curve. Select Sussex Insurance and make a difference. When you renew your auto plan online, select your neighborhood Sussex Insurance location when prompted, and a donation will be made to Diabetes Canada. I'm Trish Jewison in Global One at the Alex Fraser Bridge. Advocates are highlighting the number of deaths in police custody in this province, pointing out that a disproportionate number are Indigenous. A list of deaths can be found on a website called Not in the Public Interest. Advocates say the site is the reason given when they are denied access to government records. A coroner's death review panel found 127 people died between 2013 and 2017, either in custody or within 24 hours following police contact. 20% were Indigenous, even though First Nations make up just 6% of the population. The group is calling for what it calls proper investigations into Aboriginal deaths and changes to the BC Coroner Service that investigates deaths. Eleven alleged victims are fighting for justice over claims they were sexually preyed upon by the same man. Former Substance Use Recovery Centre worker Adam Haber faces three charges of sexual assault. Elizabeth McSheffrey spoke with a woman who's sharing her story for the first time, hoping to refocus the conversation ahead of Haber's upcoming court date. It gave me a community, a new community of people who were like-minded and supported me and it helped me. For more than a decade, Narcotics Anonymous was a safe place for Tara. Tara isn't her real name. Global News is protecting her identity as a possible victim of sexual assault, allegedly at the hands of someone she met at NA. Being a woman who comes from addiction, I've experienced a lot of stuff. I always sort of put it back on me like, oh, it's my fault or it's me or whatever, or it's nothing, or at least if I don't talk about it, I can just pretend like it didn't happen. Outside of N.A., Adam Haber was a certified fitness instructor, and in one session in New Westminster, Tara says he groped her multiple times in April 2019. It was very uncomfortable seeing him in meetings after. Four years later, Haber was arrested and charged with three counts of sexual assault, unrelated to her allegations. So far, we've had 11 victims come forward and speak with police. The Last Door Recovery Society, an addictions and treatment centre, says it fired him from work there as an independent contractor. Police unable to comment on specific allegations due to a publication ban. 
But Haber's lawyer reiterating his client is presumed innocent and is only facing three charges which he disputes. We will be defending him in court, not in the media. Unfortunately, some parties have seen fit to make public statements. Public statements that appear to be designed to influence the legal process and potentially poison the jury pool. Police did not recommend charges as a result of Tara's allegations, nor have they been proven in court. Global News has viewed screenshots of e-transfers she sent to pay Haber for training sessions before switching gyms. In January, other women from the recovery community began posting on social media about their own alleged experiences with Haber. Tara says it pushed her to file a police report, along with this string of explicit messages she claims Haber sent her in December. In my defense, have you seen you? I sometimes speak when I probably shouldn't, but you're super hot. Tara says she wants attention refocused on her alleged perpetrator, rather than what various treatment programs knew about him and when. It pushes the accountability away. I get that people want to blame someone. Blame Adam. With the belief that speaking out could protect others. We're a vulnerable community. There is ways to manipulate in so many different ways. So it just makes me more aware and committed to making sure that people, especially newcomers, feel safe. Haber's court date is August 2nd, the start of what could be a very long road to truth for alleged victims, having already endured years of waiting to be heard. Elizabeth McSheffrey, Global News. A vigil will be held in Surrey this evening to remember a young father killed in a weekend hit and run. 31-year-old Zachary Freeze was struck by a driver while walking near 128th Street and 82nd Avenue in Newton just after midnight Saturday. He died in hospital. A memorial is growing at the scene of the fatal collision where friends and family will gather at 9 tonight. Surrey RCMP are appealing for witnesses to come forward as investigators work to identify the suspect and the hit and run vehicle. It's described as a blue sedan with front-end damage. Freeze leaves behind a wife and young son. Well, more than a million people live in rural parts of this province, but when it comes to their health care needs, advocates say many of them feel overshadowed by urban centres. Catherine Urquhart has warned a new effort to reshape BC's approach to health care to give small-town residents a bigger voice. From Sunday night until Monday morning, emergency at Oliver's South Okanagan General Hospital was closed due to physician unavailability. It happened as the Eagle Bluff wildfire threatened nearby Asoyas and as hundreds of people were evacuated. Unfortunately, it's not surprising to us. You know, we see closures happening continually. Um, obviously, staffing is an issue. Merritt's Nicola Valley Hospital has closed its emergency 13 times in 2023. Now, rural health care in BC will be the focus of a UBC research study called Closing the Gap. We're looking at what rural residents feel across the province in terms of their engagement with health planning, and then what we can do to strengthen the receptivity of rural community voice at a decision-making level. Research will include a province-wide survey and interviews with policymakers and rural leaders. The BC Rural Healthcare Network is a partner in the initiative and hopes findings will assist in promoting change. We will use that data and uh, additional data that we collect from communities 
in order to support our advocacy work as we speak to health authorities, the ministry, and policy makers in general. The province says it's working on improvements, pointing to expansion of the community oncology network and changes at BC Ambulance. So absolutely, we're committed to providing more and better service in rural BC, and you see that in all of these actions across uh, all, of the, all of the types of healthcare. Funded with $70,000 from the Social Planning and Research Council, the research study will conclude by end of year. This is a stepwise approach to being able to very quickly solicit the input of communities when they're faced with a health services challenge and act on it. Those health care challenges deeply concerning for many British Columbians, notably those living in rural parts of the province. Catherine Urquhart, Global News. Still to come, from competitor to course designer. I typically try and build stuff really tall and steep. I find it just really fun to ride. The man behind some of the most extreme mountain bike tracks in the sport. Plus... I was having one of the best rounds of golf <laughs> in, the, in years, and that kind of threw me off. When bears replace birdies on the golf course, a close encounter right after Yvonne's forecast. From the stories that affect us all to a look at what's happening right now around us. When BC needs to connect, BC turns to the source that brings us together. Global News. After three nights of dazzling fireworks shows, Team Philippines has officially been announced the winner of the 31st annual Honda Celebration of Light. Stiff competition in the teams from Australia and Mexico, but the team representing the Philippines ended off the competition, winning both the People's Choice and Judges' Competition Awards based on their tightly choreographed performance. Throughout all three nights, a total of 1.3 million people flocked to the beaches to take in the colorful sights. All right, let's bring in Yvonne Shell. We had perfect weather for all three nights of the fireworks and the dry weather continues, Yvonne. Yeah, and the heat as well. It's going to be even hotter as we get in towards the weekend. Thank you so much, Soph. And good evening, everyone. The heat is on. We'll see a surge in temperatures. A quick glance at what it looks like right now outside. We're sitting at 23. We do actually have some cloud cover that will roll in this evening. A few clouds and then taking us in towards tomorrow morning. A few spots today. Highs lit and getting up to 32. Most areas into the southern interior will continue to travel into the mid and upper 30s as we look ahead towards the weekend. We do have some instability at this hour. We're tracking a few lightning strikes and we do have a severe thunderstorm warning. Now the areas of concern just south of Fort St. John, so areas near the Peace and Dawson Creek. We do have the potential to see gusty winds, hail and some heavy downpours through that region. We'll continue to watch that over the next hour or so. Now a reminder, we do have a smoky skies bulletin. We wanted to show you we've got an Eagle Bluff time lapse. This was taken from our very own Pat Bell. This is the fire across the region and as as we get in through the day tomorrow, we're actually going to see the winds pick up once again. Northerly wind closer to 20 kilometers per hour, but not quite a reprieve just yet. And areas that are in gray, these will be the areas of concern over the next 24 and potentially 48 hours. We are looking at the potential uh, for that smoke right across the region, anywhere between local to widespread. Now, this is a forecast, especially for the interior. Do plan ahead. We'll be into the mid-30s, likely peaking as we get in towards the weekend for Metro Vancouver and into early next week. A 
reminder, the fire danger rating sitting at high, the southeastern quarter sitting at extreme. We do have a break along the north coast tomorrow, but that lightning will pick up once again for the peace across the central interior. Smoke the big concern and no reprieve with no significant precipitation for the interior and areas across the island. Warm inland, Portal Burnie getting up to 29. We do have a range in temperatures away from the water tomorrow. 28 factor in the humidex will be up to 31. Hot, hot, hot. So plan ahead and towards the weekend away from the water will be up to 30 degrees. This shot taken uh, over last week rather, but this was from Adam and it was taken from Ring Lake. A gorgeous shot. So absolutely. All right. Thanks, Yvonne. Well, there are plenty of ways to lose your golf bag. You can forget it at the course. You can throw it into a pond after having a bad round. But one golfer in Coquitlam has one for the books. Jerome Gignac was playing around at Westwood Plateau when the bear decided to claim ownership of his bag. Despite the fact Gignac tried to scream at the bear and scare it off, it simply dragged the bag into a nearby ravine and disappeared with it. I can't believe that. It came out of the woods, came to our carts, searched through our bags. There was no food in any, any of the golf bags. Um, but uh, for some reason, it picked my bag to pull off the cart. It's not unusual to see bears up here. Um, I had one walk across a green one time when I was uh, when I was putting and completely ignore us. My friend Peter and I were playing and uh, and the bear just walked right in front of us across the green. Um, but I've never seen I've never seen a bear do something like that. Gignac says he realizes he looks a little crazy chasing after the bear, but in the heat of the moment, all he could think about was saving his clubs and his round, and that this was actually a brand new bag. <laughs> I was just going to say it's the perfect excuse. Honey, I need to get a new set of clubs. You'll never guess what happened today. You know what? Most of the clubs fell out of the bag, so he still has most of the clubs, but, you know, if he'd thought about this better, oh. he could have gotten a new set. Mm -hmm. Now he just needs the new bag. Uh, so if the BC Lions fly off to Winnipeg tomorrow as they take on the Bombers Thursday night, Lions are 6-1 and one and they're atop the West. We're going to see if they can repeat the effort that they delivered back in Week 3 when they beat the Bombers 30-6. to six. Guys are excited. You know, we have, we have big games. We're playing the four West teams, the other teams four in a row right now, so this is... Uh, Winnipeg coming up. It's going to be a tough game, but we'll be ready. Nice. I like to build stuff that I will want to ride. A sought-after designer of extreme mountain bike courses. The BC man who's in demand and why his work stands out. Thank you for the tomatoes and the cucumber. I told you I was going to pick the tomatoes. He brought me his garden bounty today. And Monique suggested I bring jalapenos because our jalapenos are coming in, but I didn't think Soph was going to want to spice up her life. But we'll, we'll spice up your life for tomorrow. Can't wait. Jalapenos Can't coming. Wait. Thank you. Here comes the sports now. The uh, CFL naming its honor roll today. Dane Evans and the Lions offensive line making the grade. Evans throwing for over 300 yards in BC's win against the Elks. Not sure, though, how the Lions donut boys are overlooked after pitching another shutout on defense. It's the second time this season that the Lions defense has locked it down. Out. And yes, I know those were against the Edmonton Elks, but in seven games, they've also allowed the fewest points of any team in the league 
and it isn't even close. So we're going to see what the Donut Boys do against the Bombers on Thursday. Cornelius down the field, intercepted. After recording a second shutout this season, both against the Edmonton Elks, the BC Lions defense has earned the most delicious nickname. The Donut Boys, I mean, it rings a bell, and especially how we bring donuts after a win. We always got Krispy Kreme and stuff. That's been a tradition here for a while, and so the Donut Boys, I could roll with that. <laughs> While the shutouts have come against the worst team in the league, the performances aren't outliers. Through seven games, the Lions defense has given up more than 20 points in a game just once this season. I'm sticking to my stories. It's a strength and numbers operation and that it's all all 12 guys on the field and it's our whole coaching staff working together and um, that's how I really view it. We don't have a lot of, we don't really have weak links. The defense does have some standouts in a couple statistical categories. Gary Peters is tied for second in the league with six pass knockdowns to go along with his two interceptions and Matthew Betts leads the CFL with 10 QB sacks. The D-line, the main job for you is to beat the O-line across of you, so that's what I focus on. And uh, if you do that well, then good things will come your way. But if you think about statistics, accomplishment, or whatever, I mean, you can get frustrated and stuff like that. The last time a team recorded two shutouts in a season was in 1970, back when a dozen donuts would cost less than $2. But inflation doesn't affect football when it comes to production on the field. So where does this defense rank historically? Oh, good question. It's definitely high. Um, I mean, obviously, for me in the CFL, it's been our, our, our best, my best defense so far, for sure. You know, I, I definitely feel like we have uh, arguably one of the best defense I've ever, I ever been a part of, you know, especially shutting teams out, uh, not letting them score. You know, that doesn't really happen. That rarely happens in, uh, you know, as a pro. Heading into week nine of the CFL season, the Lions are averaging just over 13 points against per game which is what the dominant Blue Bombers defense was holding opponents to during the 2021 regular season. A key to their success, culminated by back-to-back -back Grey Cups, was consistency. Most of the core is back, so it makes it easier for us to communicate, to know what to expect from each other. And I mean, we, we're just building off from what we did last year. It's not, we didn't start, I mean, from day zero this year, we started back from what we did last year, so it makes it that much easier. A little bit of donut love for the Lions. We won't be seeing Dennis Shapovalov next week. The National Bank opened. Shapovalov withdrew today due to a knee injury. The 24-year-old most recently played at Wimbledon where he reached the round of 16. His best performance at the National Bank Open was in 2017 when he reached the semifinals as a wildcard. And, of course, he took down world number one Rafael Nadal back then. Almost another monster surprise at the Women's World Cup today. The Americans played to a nil-nil draw against Portugal and they're also going to have to play without their key midfielder, Rose Lavelle, in the round of 16. As she picked up her second yellow card today, made contact a couple times. She didn't like the card that she was handed. You can pick out the foul there for yourself. But here's where Portugal almost won this match. First minute of second half stoppage time. Anna Capetta is going to get on the back end of this beautiful flick on. And she hits the post dead on literally inches away from sending the Americans out of the World Cup. Of course, they're trying to win the third straight World Cup, and that's never happened either in the history of the men's or women's World Cup, but they survive a massive scare. They're on to the round of 16. Here's how the rest of the games played out. England, 6-1 winners against China. They uh, will set up a showdown now with Group B runners up Nigeria. Netherlands rediscovered their scoring touch. They win by a touchdown over Vietnam. They get through as well. Denmark shutting out Haiti. The Danes through to the knockout stage for the first time since 1995. They're going to play Australia next. Holinka Gretzky, U18 Cup. Canada taking on 
The host country, Slovakia, today, they needed fog lamps on the helmets, a little bit of fog. Slovakian fans, not a lot to cheer about, except for this. Thomas Povazel with the Michigan. They only had eight shots on goal against Canada. They scored 14 on the day, our boys did. Skated circles around the Slovaks. Ryder Ritchie, three goals, two assists. Canada wins big, 14-14. They'll play Switzerland tomorrow morning. Oh, the Toronto Blue Jays are breathing a sigh of relief after Bo Bichette was forced to leave yesterday's game after jamming his knee when he rounds third base, or first base, pardon me, after he hits the single to right. They called it a jam knee last night. Today they're saying it's just knee inflammation. They've listed him as day-to-day. -day. Today they also acquired infielder Paul DeYoung from the Cardinals. DeYoung can play short or second. And right now the Jays are getting pummeled by the Orioles again. It is 11-3 in the ninth inning. But hopefully Bo Bichette isn't gone for a long period of time for the Blue Jays. Justin Verlander, by the way, traded from the Mets back to Houston. Busy day in sports. All right. You've earned your money today. <laughs> Thanks, Jay. He went from riding the best mountain bike courses to designing them. The former pro turned bike trail builder next. This is BC is brought to you by Johnston Meyer Insurance Agencies Group. 50 years of trust in your community. Jordan Armstrong here now with a look ahead to Global News at 11 tonight. Jordan? Sophie, we are learning more tonight about the 31-year-old father killed by a hit-and-run driver in Surrey over the weekend. As you mentioned earlier, a vigil is taking place. Our cameras are there, and we'll have more at 11. Plus, it is moving night in Kitsilano. The 110-year-old schoolhouse at Maple in Cornwall will be carefully rolled to Kits Beach and then barged to its new home on the North Shore. At least that's the plan. Should be quite a sight. And we'll have new video at 11. Sophie. Looking forward to that. All yeah. right. Thanks, Jordan. Well, in the summer, Whistler is known for its world-class bike park. So it's no surprise one of the most in-demand course designers comes from our province. On This is BC Tonight, Jada Rand introduces us to a world leader in extreme mountain biking. I've probably hiked this hill thousands of times and it never gets easier. There's been a lot of blood, sweat and tears on Whistler Mountain. You're like a piece of bacon in a skillet up here in the summer. It's 30 degrees, the sun's blaring down on you. There's no grass, it's rock and dust, but I, I love it. Justin Wiper looks after every detail when building the course for Red Bull's Joyride. We spend a lot of time while we build, testing and riding, and making sure and kind of perfecting and tweaking everything. Basically, it's a little drop to what's called a whale tail. They're probably 12 meters in the air coming down. He never really looks at the negative things. Like, even when things are kind of going south, he's like, no, 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 this is going to work out. We're going to figure it out. Wiper is one of the most sought-after designers in the sport, routinely getting called in for the big events after seeing his career take off in just a few short years. Started out raking rocks. It kind of blossomed from there into this. It's definitely a lot more pressure. It's just me to blame if something doesn't work. He's got the bikes. Hand-picked by the best mountain bikers on the planet. I'm kind of putting my safety in his hands, and I trust what he does. There it is! And he rides, so he understands when he's building the feature. I can bounce ideas. He's like, okay, does this speed look right? You know, do you think this lip's packed enough? A former pro who understands the right balance between rider safety and pushing the limits. You don't need the biggest jump in the world. You just need a quality airtime. This mountain is home. He grooms Blackcomb snow in the winter, but building the Boneyard course is his specialty. The grown-up version of a kid in the sandbox. I try and pride myself on the stuff that I build, and I'm pretty OCD with a lot of things. 
It's a hectic schedule for a father of two young children. Indiana gets a front row view during construction. And Cash is already taking a very keen interest in the family business. He spends all day talking about diggers and, you know, coming to work on the joyride course. That's looking good. So he definitely wants to grow up to be like dad at this point. So it's, it's pretty neat. Jay Durant, Global News. It looks thrilling, but terrifying. <laughs> Beautiful courses. If you know someone who has a great story to tell, email your ideas to Jay at thisisbc at globalnews.ca. Have you guys ever tried anything remotely similar? No. I feel like you no. have, Jay. Have you not? Mm -mm. No. Nope. You've just, just viewing. On it. Yeah. Just viewing. I like showing the highlights. Yeah. yeah. Watch <laughs> from the Safer slides. that way. Totally. Totally. <laughs> Fewer broken bones for sure. All right, uh, Yvonne, you get the final word on the weather. Uh, heat. Uh, the heat is on. Temperatures are soaring in the coming days. Overnight tonight, we're just down to 14. We may see a few clouds in the mix, but it gets even hotter. Tomorrow with the humidex, we'll be feeling like 31. Both days out of the weekend, anticipate the heat away from the water up to 30 degrees. All right, thank you very much, and thank you for joining us tonight. Have a good night, all.